Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 15 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Dr. John Mike. I'm back on the airways with um, Dr. Lowry, and I'm an assistant professor in exercise science. Um, I compete in strongman. Um, I do all kinds of other things. I like to take up a lot of space. I like to eat a lot of food, and we like to lift things up and put them down. Okay. <laughs> all right, everybody. We're, we've got news and mail today for the most part. There's a, quite a few questions that have come up over the week, and um, news coming in. One even led to a review that Dr. Mike and I can discuss. Um, but let's start with achievements we haven't done achievements in training in a long time and i can tell you i a lot of listeners know i'm not real i'm not going gangbusters with the heavy weights my, my osteoarthritis is it, it's really sort of disappointing so what i've been doing is um trying to decide what i can do you know so i've been cleaning up my diet a lot for the first time in years so i yeah i'm for the first time in seven years i'm under 200 pounds Oh, so, wow. Yeah, we had 198. It's intentional. Uh, mm-hmm. but And I'm trying to decide how low should I go. I mean, I, I already feel thin. I don't want to become a twink, you know, so I don't know how much further I'm going to go. But I thought I would just share that one of the things that I think really, quote, unquote, worked for me in dropping a lot of fat was I had been, and I think I might have mentioned this in past weeks, but I had been cutting junk carbs out of my diet. I, I don't drink sugary pops you know i don't eat a bunch of sugary foods and stuff like that but uh but i was eating really plentiful fat healthy fats but you know quite a bit and uh i just i pulled those out really i mean i pulled it down to lower fat and i know that's not very in vogue right now but that worked for me actually so i was controlling now recently fats and carbs and that i think that helps so I'm, my protein's high not super duper high but trying to keep a gram per pound or so um but yeah i pulled the fats out for you know just stuff like i would eat those kind bars i would have lots of peanut butter i'd cook with olive oil stuff like that and, and those are healthy fats but um and I don't, I'm not saying my body is better on the low-fat diet. Maybe it's just the calorie drain. You know, I mean, let's face it. You pull out a lot of the carbs and the fats. I mean, my only carbs really are coming from the traditional uh, bodybuilder fare. You oatmeal, um, measured amounts of potatoes kinds of things, you know, um, occasional little sugar-free, like uh, mandarin orange fruit cups and stuff like that. But So the carbs are limited, but the carbs are there. Uh, the fat, I've just – I've I really – targeted that and that really seemed to work so i guess the practical tip from that maybe a lesson would be if you're not getting the fat loss that you want by just pulling out carbs which is very popular i think uh when people are dieting i mean I can tell you backstage that's what people say they progressively they either cyclically or progressively over the week pull out more and more carbs and that works 
uh, for the most part, but you might want to think about that fat intake too, just because it's so energy dense, you know, nine calories in a gram, I think you can end up getting way more calories from some of those healthy fats, even the healthy ones, than maybe you think you are. So just something. Yeah, that's about. interesting you said, because um, there was this um, post that was going around yesterday on Facebook and uh, Instagram, and um, it was called um, How Named Diets Work for Weight Loss, and, and, on the, and it was like a, it's a table, like a chart, um, and on the left-hand side, it was like low-carb, ketogenic, low-fat, intermittent fasting, Weight Watchers, and paleo, and, and of course, the short description was obviously like what they are, but how it works, and, and, and what's, what's amazing is that everybody thinks that all these different types of like diet plans or these different weight loss interventions – like they're all very different in like how they work, but the but the overall universal way of how all of them work is by creating a caloric deficit. <laughs> right. I mean, that's you know what I mean. Yeah. It's, it's just that's that's really what it is. I mean, low carb, obviously. I mean, it's lower carb. I mean, ketogenic. I mean, it's you know mostly fats. I mean, then low fat, then fat. You know, weight loss. It's all based upon like creating a caloric deficit. That's how it works. It's just I don't you know it, it's. I mean, yes, there's a science to it, and yes, people respond differently, um, and uh, so much inter-individual variability with how people respond to nutrition, and um, you know. Yeah, you're, and you're right. I mean, think about any any one of us. If we, um, it's it's nothing for us, for example, to have four tablespoons of peanut butter. That's like 32 grams of fat. I mean, it comes really yeah. fast, you know. In that I know, way. and it's like I mean, sometimes I'll actually do that. I'll take a spoon and just like eat a spoonful, a couple of things of peanut butter. I mean, there you go. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah, or you cook with olive oil, you put it on your vegetables, and, you know, you just glug in a little bit, and that can easily be many tablespoons, you know. And when you think about how many grams of fat are in each one, it, is, it adds up a lot quicker. And like I said, I'm not preparing for a competition or anything. I'm not going to weigh this stuff in my kitchen but right now. But it's amazing, yeah, how quickly some of the, the fats can add up. And I had just – my dissertation was with the specialty fat. You know, I, I'm always kind of defending proteins and fats, it feels like, uh, especially in dietetics kinds of settings. So uh, maybe I, um, I almost turned a blind eye. And, you know, I was just letting the, the healthier fat choices flow when, like you said, ultimately it's, it is about calorie balance. And I, I don't think I was in a very negative calorie balance. I'd pull out the carbs, but... And, you know, and a lot of this is the old lifter eating stuff too. You know, mm -hmm. uh, we've talked for ages about that. Like, you get used to eating copious amounts of food, and you feel like you're cutting back, but you're honestly you're eating about what a normal person eats. Then, you know, you're yeah, not exactly. you're not really that negative. Well, what about let's do a little achievements for you, Phil? W what have you done in the last week? Anything with your training? Obviously, you competed recently, and that's a huge achievement based you know on your. Uh, your surgeries and everything. Yeah, but. well, I, I, I cut weight. I don't know. The biggest thing I've done is I'm, I'm well, besides the cutting weight, you know, I'm, I'm 30 pounds lighter than I have been in a long time. Um, I'm squatting almost as I have potentially, I'll be squatting more than I've ever squatted in my life at a lighter body weight on a fake hip and a reattached hamstring. Wow. So, yeah, yeah so I'm doing pretty good. So. That's good. <laughs> John, what about you? Anything in the gym lately? I mean, is, is it yeah, like work um, interfering or you are able to train? 
this last week like works interfered a, a, a little bit and um just because of other you know stuff going on but um like in the really in the last couple of weeks i did 285 overhead press just for a single like it was pretty easy i i went for a 300 but missed the lockout for about a few inches and then the video got messed up and then um i actually did um strongman last weekend um last saturday oh. it's the first time i'd done some events and uh, a long while but um i mean i really didn't miss miss really a beat i mean i, I um, blew up the 330 atlas stone to 55 inches um height and then um again to the 40 inch height and then i um, did um, a couple of sets with a 220 keg at 40 inch height so um but it was good i wasn't really sore much um either so but it's it's one of those things that's where I mean I was I was actually kind of I was a little bit sore and just a little kind of taken back just because I haven't you know done the events in a while but it's just like anything else right I mean you know the more frequent you do things I mean you're just going to have you know better adaptation and then um, what else I did some kind of tactical stuff the other day I had a couple of big heavy sandbags on my shoulders and I was attached to a sled and pushing the sled with another heavy sandbag and a um, two o five pound human standing on the sled too so i like to do some different types of you know tactical things and um you know every once in a while so yeah i mean Sounds other than fun. that yeah. uh, you know pretty pretty good um you know heavy floor pressing did some um, 520 reverse band squats you know um, a few weeks ago about three weeks ago so it was, it was pretty good so so okay. far oh so yeah sweet okay hey i have a question for you guys um that I'm I'm really not sure about this one, uh, John. I know you talk a lot about overhead pressing, and yeah. Phil, Phil, maybe you have some insights here too. Um, this is from Young Biochemist, as he says. Uh, I'm looking for to tomorrow's podcast. I hope you might address a classic lift: the strict press. Yeah. Uh, I set a goal to significantly increase my strict press, but it seems to progress slower than my other lifts. I've done some reading, and some coaches seem to think that shoulder exercises respond to higher carb diets for some reason. I had never. Heard I've never that. heard that. I've um, never heard that. Uh, do you or the other experts have any suggestions about pressing above and beyond body weight without piling on carbs? Thanks. Interesting. So, what I've never think? heard that before. I mean, physiologically, obviously, it's uh you know we know that increased um you know glycogen storage and utilization is obviously going to help with you know higher intensity types of activities and volume work et cetera, et cetera. but um i've never actually heard that that increasing carbs would have a a, a like a you know like a direct effect right with your with with your with your overhead work you know yeah. right it's kind of like I mean, you could use it with any other exercise you could say well i'm going to go eat like a whole pizza you know, and then go do do some deadlifts. Well, yeah, I mean, you have more you have more energy, you know, utilization for your activity. So I've never I've never really heard that thing. Yeah, what mechanism? Before, but you know, I can't even think yeah. of a specific mechanism for your shoulders. I, I yeah, wonder where that I've comes from. That yeah, I'd be I'd be actually be interested to see like where he where he saw that or, or, or read that. Uh, read that. But um, what are tips? Yeah, yeah. So he's actually right. I mean, like overhead pressing is actually, um, in my experience one of the top lifts that just take forever to just increase. And, and yes, there's many different types of variations. I mean, there's just strict press or seated or standing, um, you know, there's different specialty bars. There's, you can use, um, you know, bands or chains. Um, you can do uh, push press, you can do, you know, um, jerk, you know, whatever. So, um, I, I think, um, I, I would definitely suggest the person, 
to kind of find out where they're weak at, you know, where their weak points are. I mean, typically for overhead pressing, even if you do a, a little bit of a, a push press, you know, a little bit of a, a dip and drive phase, the, the two biggest limiting factors with overhead pressing, I mean, aside from just like, you know, big shoulders, but the two limited, the two biggest limiting factors are um, speed work and triceps because, and it kind of goes back to um, what I've, typically have discussed is like grinding strength versus like explosive strength. I mean, for strict pressing, it's, it's a little bit more on the grinding strength, you know, slower tempos, you know, type of thing, you know, which is fine. I mean, and you need that, but if you're not focusing on explosive strength at all and speed work or dynamic, dynamic effort work, then your max um, effort, your max strength is going to tend to suffer because of it. On the other side of the spectrum, if you train more speed work, Okay, and without emphasizing triceps or extra grinding strength, your max is also going to suffer because of it. So it it sounds to me like you definitely need to um, train more in the explosive um, part and do speed work, um, and then do some assistance exercises that focus on you know shoulders. It could be lat raises. It could be um, I definitely do a lot of back work, a lot of upper back um, and core work is is really heavily required for overhead pressing. So I, I would I would definitely start doing those. Yeah. I just spoke to a student in the hallway specifically about that. He was asking about overhead pressing, and he said he just likes to put a 135 on a bar and just in the middle of the room just hoist it up and do some overhead pressing. I'm like, you know, that's – I think that's actually good. You're doing that like a man, you know, instead of people they sit down on all these little machines and do all these alterations of a military press. You know, it's just – it's kind of refreshing, I think. But, but Yeah, I think the only way that a high-carb diet could help is just in general if you're gained weight. You know, mm-hmm. gain weight in general, your your overhead press is going to go up. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's I I don't see how it could potentially be like I have a high carb day and then go increase my bent or my overhead press. So yeah, but, Phil, what what would your tips be for someone like if you got someone who really wants to? Well, maybe let's back up. Why would you work on that with someone other than they just want it big? I mean, what what are some of the advantages or a sports or how would you encounter this in your setting? Like an overhead press? Yeah. In general? I use it more for, for all my athletes aside from powerlifters. We okay. do a lot more overhead pressing than we do benching mm-hmm. for any athlete besides a powerlifter because, well, of course, powerlifters have to bench. But I think it's just a more applicable move to, to real life and to real sports than, than the bench press is. Yeah. Um, and just overall strength. I mean, it's a much harder move. It's a very frustrating move, like John was saying. I mean, it's harder to get to go up. you got a lot less stuff involved. Um, there's a lot less pectoral involvement and things like that than there is in a bench press. But, uh, you know, lat strength has a lot to do with it, especially in the bottom end. And it just learning how to engage your lats and press off of your lats. But, uh, yep. and we do it standing, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a more full body move than, sure. than it is seated or a bench press. So, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, from the floor to the ground up. Any tips from you then? Do, do you like to a little bit of, do you like to keep it really strict do you like to do it more explosively, put a little bit of a ballistic nature to it? Like, wh- wh- Yeah, I mean, we alternate through it. I mean, we'll do we'll do four to six weeks of strict press, and then we'll do four to six weeks of, uh, you know, push press. Okay, so got you. Depends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the push press more to work the top end, the the strict pressing to, to work the bottom end. Most people are going to get stuck right about your forehead in a strict press once you're going for a max and that's you know just looking at the physics of the move it's where the lever arm is the furthest when the when the elbow is 90 degrees from the ground you know the elbow is as far as far from the body as it's going to be of course it gets the hardest 
So you'll see them, they'll press uh, five or six inches and then they get stuck there. Um, and that's still, you know, mainly just shoulder strength. I mean, right. the top end's all lockout, but, uh, mm-hmm. so. Okay. Okay. What else do we have here? Uh, we just got, we, we got an, a mail from, uh, Jared, who's one of our new supporters. And I, I want to try to address this. Uh, you might, both you guys might find this interesting. I, I'm not sure if I should be shocked or uh, so jaded I, I it's not even that surprising anymore uh, but I'll, I'll get to that so he's asking about a specific product review iron radio review and some of some of our names and our, our friends are in these ads and i'm like what <laughs> so bear with me so he says good evening the next time you do a product review could you take a look at uh, these are two biotest products, Plasma Reactive Pump and Mag-10 Anabolic Pulse. I've used the Plasma, but I haven't decided if at a price tag of nearly $70, it's worth it or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually use the same product. Okay, um, okay. Well, let me, yeah. let me finish here. Uh, so before yeah. I pony up again, I thought I'd get your take. I'm really interested in the recovery claims and if you guys, uh, what you think or your experience is, is worth it. I don't typically use supplements or any products other than protein, creatine, caffeine, and then melatonin. Thanks a lot. Love the show. Um, all right, John. So you said you you use one or both of these? Yeah, I use plasma. Yeah. Okay. Uh, why? Like, so what is pro- it? Why do you product, do it? Well, it's a product from Biotest, but um, mm-hmm. it has um, branch cyclic dextrin in it, which is a more of a I believe it's more like a fast-resting car, but it also has casein hydrolysate in it. Right. Um, Pre-digested so, I mean, casein, right? Exact, yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, casein, as we know, is a slower digestion protein, but from what I can remember, when it's when it's hydrolysate, it's more, um, you know, quicker acting. So, I believe I believe it has like a what's called a low osmolality, which basically means that it sits really well in your stomach and it doesn't make you feel like bloated. And um, so, it's it's a really, it's it's pretty good recovery drink. Like, I don't, um, when I first got it, I was kind of buying it fairly regularly. But um, what I what I typically do is I'll I'll fill up um, you know the jug full of it or maybe three fourths full of it, and then I'll drink it during my workout. And then if I don't drink it all, I'll put it in the refrigerator, keep it cool, and then use the rest of it for like my next workout. Um, so it it saves a little bit of cost by having to you know purchase it fairly regularly. But I mean, there's also some other products out there. I mean, there's a there's a product called Carbolin, which different with different flavors. And it's basically the same thing, but it doesn't have any casein hydrolysate in it. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit cheaper. Um, but you can actually buy like your own cyclic dextrin and you know get your flavored food coloring and some casein hydrolysate and you know mix it yourself. I mean, I'm not I don't know if you want to. Uh, create a biochemistry lab in your kitchen. Yeah, um, maybe a convenience but, thing then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's a it's a pretty good product. I've always had some um, good results with it. I mean, I can I can okay. tell a difference. All right. Well, let me let me read some of the claims from the site. Uh, first yeah. of all, when I, I I went and took a look, I I haven't looked at these things in a long time. Like first the the Mag Ten product, Mag Ten. Phil, correct me if I'm wrong, but originally Mag Mag Ten was their pro hormone. It and, used to be a pro hormone, yeah. Yeah, and they just sort of spun that name, maybe that brand neck recognition, into something that's that's not hormonal at all. Uh, well, at least you know it's not a andro type thing. But anyway, yeah. um, both of these products that I'm looking at, 
the MAG-10 anabolic pulse and the plasma are, yeah, they're essentially protein and carbs, right? It's special carbs. It's pre-broken down uh, casein, like into peptides. And the, what makes them different, as far as I can tell, is the plasma has um, citrulline malate. It's got a specific uh, metabolite slash non-essential amino acid um, with the intention, I believe, of working through some arginine pathway and NO and causing vasodilation. So the plasma is, it looks to me like very much like a, the same or a very similar product to the MAG-10. And if you're, I don't know if I would, I would tend to buy one or the other, and maybe they sell them in a package deal. I don't know how they do this. Here's what they say uh, about the – let's start with the plasma one. It says, plasma contains a unique blend of fast-acting dye and tripeptides that produce biological activities and effects in muscle for performance, growth, and recovery uh, beyond that of other proteins and aminos. The formula also contains a special carbohydrate complex that, in addition to increasing metabolic rate, uh, drives the formulas dye and tripeptides and other nutrients into muscle cells. Uh, so I, either there they're talking about the carb causing a nice insulin response or something with the blood flow, maybe. Um, so the, and it, it looks like they're, at, they're sort of suggesting you do it uh, pre and mid workout maybe with the plasma. Uh, whereas I think with the MAG-10, they're using it in various ways, more like a traditional protein-carb combo, I believe. Uh, so the MAG-10 the, from their site, and I'm going to get to some of the um, what the science of the government says about this in just a minute. But uh, for this one, they say the next generation of protein and carbs. Today, supplement science has evolved. There's more advanced forms of protein and amino acids that build muscle faster, and there are designer carbs. Um, carbs can even speed up your metabolic rate. Uh, and then it says, essentially can't be stored as body fat. I, I, I'm dubious about that one. Um, but, uh, so this looks like, it says fastest recovery, fastest growth. This is where I got a little shocked as I'm reading through this. There's some quotes in here from Jim Wendler about how he uses it and this and that. And maybe that's why listeners are asking, hey, you know, should I take this? Uh, and they, and they, they t start talking about ways to use MAG-10, like um, protein pulsing during cardio. And I was stunned. It's, it, it says, Dr. Lonnie Lowry tested this in the lab. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, now, the truth is, a few years ago, I did write an article about sipping proteins once cardio has begun, right? So I would do my usual, I was getting ready for a competition and... I would sip low doses of uh, protein water about 10 minutes into uh, a non-panting treadmill session. You know, I just set the treadmill on a mild incline, go do my fat-burning cardio kind of stuff. And if a lot of people, if you're not familiar, if you hammer carbs, and I would wager carb and protein drinks before you get on the treadmill, your RER is going to be high, right? You're going to be oxidizing using those nutrients and your insulin would go up and it would sort of interfere with fat mobilization. So, but once you start to exercise and the adrenaline starts flowing and your central nervous system gets activated, I mean, your pancreas literally has, it's innervated directly. You won't secrete as much insulin. So if you think about this, 
that's good during fat loss, right? You might want to have insulin high when you're trying to build muscle, but when you're trying to strip fat, you want to make it vulnerable. So I was just basically playing with the idea that protein, once you wait, you know, 10 minutes into a workout, you could sip it every 20 or 30 minutes. And yeah, and sure enough, it the whole that whole physiologic effect of blunted insulin release, that really seemed to happen because my RER, uh, the lower the better when it comes to fat burning, right, down near 0 0.70, 0 0.72, it really did stay low. So I was able to trickle in some amino acids and at least in theory, spare some protein, spare some muscle tissue while I was stripping off the fat. That's what I was trying to do. But there's some, there's some quotes in here and I don't remember saying this <laughs> exactly. I may have said something along these lines. It just doesn't look like the way I talk. I don't know. Um, I probably said something and, you know, marketing, they just, they get a hold of things and it's like politics, you know, they get a hold of something with a nugget of truth and I think blow it up a little bit. So, yeah, but I saw, yeah, quotes in here from Jim. Uh, let me just make the record straight, at least from my perspective. I dabbled with this with a metabolic car on myself because I was curious about whether or not I could trickle in protein in low amounts when I was doing my pre-breakfast cardio. I did not do a study on this. I did not collect data on a lot of people. I did not analyze data. I did not present data. So interesting stuff. But they do talk about ways to use it in here. And some of them do make some sense to me. Like, again, sipping small amounts of a protein beverage once a workout has begun, uh, manipulating fat, intermittent fasting maybe, you know, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, essentially it's protein and carbs. I'm not personally going to go buy that for $70 a can or whatever. Yeah. Um, I know I get it that they're special in some way. You know, the carbohydrates are more insulinogenic maybe or that they've got the, you know, pre-broken down casein. Uh, but let me very quickly, I pulled three studies on the citrulline malate because I haven't been up on this literature. All I know, I mean, from teaching metabolism, right, is that this is – part of your urea cycle in your liver that helps clear extra nitrogen out and get it, you know, eventually into your bloodstream and urinate it out through your kidneys. Uh, but also that the, the citrulline malate, it's linked in metabolism um, to arginine and to nitric oxide production. So that's gotta be where this is going. So there are three papers here on citrulline malate. This first one's European Journal of Nutrition it's literally this month. It's spanking new by Glenn and colleagues. It says acute citrulline malate supplementation improves upper and lower body submaximal weightlifting performance in resistance trained females. He says uh, purpose citrulline malate is a non-essential amino acid that increases exercise performance in males. Well, I think that's a bold statement. Uh, I would, I think there's some suggestion of that, like some more reps maybe, but um, so they took 15 females that were 23 years old. Um, they gave them 8 grams of uh, essentially a sugar pill, uh, dextrose, or 8 grams of sertraline malate. One hour later, they did six sets of upper and lower body exercise, so bench pressing and leg pressing, to failure with 80% of their one rep max. Um, cut to the chase. They were the subjects were able to complete significantly more repetitions throughout the upper body when consuming the citrulline malate versus placebo. 
So I think they got like uh, one to two more repetitions uh, when they consume that. So that's by Glenn and colleagues. Very new stuff. So that suggests it may help women get another rep or two. If I go back in time just about a year, this is from Wax and colleagues, and you see his or her name crop up quite a bit in this. I don't know if that's a good thing or if it's suspicious. I, I, maybe he or she is just really into this. But this is from a journal I've, I'm not familiar with. John, have you ever heard of the Journal of Dietary Supplements? Uh, yeah, I have. Actually. I have not, actually. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know how um, – I mean, it's definitely – Definitely in the last five years. I don't think it's like a, a newer journal. Okay. It, well, just it, it, that's, it, the name just seems a little odd to me. I, I don't really see this a lot, and I, I didn't know if this was one of those. You really got to keep an eye on journals these days. You know, there's a lot of vanity journals and ones that aren't worth as much as, as some of the other ones, and I'm not saying that's this one. But 2016 paper, though, effects of supplemental citrulline melee ingestion on blood lactate cardiovascular dynamics and resistance exercise performance in trained males. Again, by Wax and colleagues, it says, citrulline melee has been proposed to provide an ergogenic effect during resistance exercise. However, there is a paucity of research investigating these claims. See, I prefer a, a lead-in like that rather than on that previous paper where they said, it increases exercise performance. Right here, they're saying, listen, this is a claim, let's look. Um, again, with the eight grams of citrulline malate, they looked at blood lactate, heart rate, blood pressure, um, both before exercise and after. It says citrulline malate ingestion significantly increased the amount of reps performed for each exercise. Chin-ups went up by four reps. Um, Push-ups went up like nine reps, I think. Uh, Push-ups to failure, I think this is. And then... In this one, it says blood lactate. There wasn't a treatment difference. Hmm. Sometimes they look at blood pressure in these studies too, and it looks like as I just pan through these, my interpretation right now, at least in a cursory way, is that they're looking for the blood pressure because if NO works and it vasodilates you, your blood pressure would come down. Uh, and some of these seem to show a mild effect and some don't. Uh, let's see. One more. This is from the Journal of Strength Conditioning Research. Again, Wax and colleagues, this is 2015, effects of supplemental citrulline melee ingestion during repeated bouts of lower body exercise in advanced weightlifters. So now we've got women, now we've got advanced. The purpose of this one was to test the efficacy on, again, performance, blood lactate, heart rate, and blood pressure. They keep forming these, choosing these same variables to test. Um, again, eight grams of citrulline melee, repeated bouts of multiple Lower body resistance exercise, specifically five sequential sets with 60% of the one rep max to failure in the leg press, hack squat, and leg extension. And then they looked at all these different variables, heart rate, blood pressure, etc. Um, let's see. Subjects in the citrulline malate group performed significantly higher number of reps during all three exercises compared to the placebo group. Huh. No significant differences noted for blood pressure measurements this time. Uh, uh, it looks like to me, based on those three papers, again, some of them from the same couple of guys, that you might get a couple more repetitions. I don't know. Um, 
I went to something that's sort of a gen pop education site, right? Just WebMD. And be careful, everybody, going to WebMD. Not because it's poor, but because it's very general. And But I wanted to see what they're putting out there as the purpose of this citrulline malate. Again, this isn't that plasma product. It's, it's the only thing that seems to make it different from the MAG-10 protein and carb product. This, uh, under, again, WebMD, L-citrulline, it says, L-citrulline is a substance called a non-essential amino acid. Your kidneys change L-citrulline into another amino acid called L-arginine and a chemical called nitric oxide. On the next page, it says, um, some studies suggest that giving L-citrulline through a vein may help prevent blood pressure comp complications in children who just had heart surgery. That doesn't sound very applicable to us, though. Uh, L-citrulline supplements may ease the symptoms of mild to moderate erectile dysfunction, but doctors say it does not work as well as drugs such as Viagra. Well, I would imagine not. Um, and then it says it's even been used for things like celiac disease and different problems with the gut. So that's what I know about those products. Like I said, in a nutshell, protein and carbs and the plasma has a little bit of this extra uh, weird amino acid that may may help a little with vasodilation or two to four more repetitions depending on how heavy. So that that's what I've got. Phil, would you do you you don't really use a lot of supplements, do you? No, I mean I can't speak on this at all because I don't <laughs> know anything about it. So, <laughs> so I I'm reading that's, through this. I, I, mean, I that's don't. Just me being. Yeah. Yeah. Just. Truthful, curmudgeon so. yeah because like, uh, yeah i i guess i'm at the point in my career I, i'm not going to spend 70 dollars for protein carbs i don't care how fancy they are that that sounds kind of bad but that's I mean, where right i'm at we use some whey and that's about it you know other than that it's food so. I, I would want to see a comparison and i, I don't know if you're going to see this study or not but okay. with all the talk about designer carbs and pre-digested things I would want to see a direct comparison and some pretty robust differences with just, yeah, having some whey protein and eating a potato when you're done training, something exactly. like that. Yeah. Um, but John, you you buy it, so yeah. Y is it just the convenience thing? You just really like the? Uh, is it the taste? What? Why yeah, don't you just? A, eat? It's just the taste. It's convenience. I mean, it's you know, um, you know, for recovery purposes. I mean, when I first started taking it, I mean, I did notice a, a pretty good. Um, increase in like you know recovery I mean, I, I was less sore um you know and then um sometimes like if i have if i don't drink enough like water throughout the day um or leading up to it then i don't, then I don't have the pro they don't have the drink during workout sometimes i found like it, it makes me a little bit more thirsty for just plain water um but you know with and it comes with it comes with um different flavors it comes with like berry or you can get uh orange or grape or whatever but i mean you don't really need a whole lot like it actually comes with it um but yeah i mean i mean i i, I like it i mean i'm not i don't have it every single day um but for you know pretty much most of my workout training sessions um you know i have it i mean i don't drink the whole thing uh i'll, I'll you know i'll save some of it for sure but yeah i mean i, I mean I, I like it but i mean how often i buy it um i i'm going um probably about two months but every two months that's not a bad practical tip maybe yeah. Uh, you know, I would suggest, yeah, if you wanted to not spend too much money, do what you can with traditional protein and carbs. Um, yeah. And let's pretend for a moment this is 20% better. Um, 
yeah, do it on occasion, maybe. Or when you feel like you're really ball-busting in the gym, you know, with lots of sets to failure or something where you want to get that extra rep or two. I don't know. Okay. Okay, I'll tell you what. Let's go to break. We've got more uh, news and questions coming at everyone. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, folks, we're back. We're going to start with, well, continued news and some questions that we've gotten from people in this past week. Uh, I just want to give a shout-out, sort of. We are 10 weeks out from the NPC Minnesota State Championships. If you remember, we had Chris Bongiovanni and Branch Warren on a few weeks ago, uh, and I'm on their mailing list. I like to keep tabs because it's very professional the way that Chris Bongiovanni does that stuff up there. Um, so, yeah, they're actually marketing it now. I see on the logo it says Minnesota Sports Expo, Minnesota State Sports Expo. So they've really expanded, again, at the amateur level to almost something like an, a mini Arnold Classic. Uh, it looks like there's some CrossFitters involved and other things. I don't know. It, they're just trying to bring in a lot of different uh, sports and make it more of a festival. So we've kind of touched on that already uh, in the past. And I wouldn't know about the Highland Games thing, but I get the idea, right, just mostly from Phil, that 
that's got a fun festival atmosphere. That could work. So, yeah, we're 10 weeks out from that. And I, that's what they send these little mailings. And so basically, you know, get your ass in gear. If you're going to do this, time to crank up your diet. Where are you in your diet, I think? So, and then lastly, uh, I did this a few years ago, and I thought I would offer this. Uh, I teach a completely online sports nutrition course. And I'm just going to toss it out here. We've had uh, only once ever have I had someone that wasn't just a traditional student in my university say, hey, can I take that? But so many times people ask basic questions about sports nutrition. And I think it might be just good to take a straight university course like that hits all the bases, uses a solid entry level textbook. Um, so I do teach such a course. And I'm just going to toss that out there for listeners. You could do it completely online. You simply enroll at my university as a guest student, you know, that kind of thing. Um, there are some seats open left. It, this is three weeks. This is just in May. I do it every year. And I'm just going to, again, I'm going to toss it out there. But topics that we literally have topics like a week we talk about. Well, actually, we condense it down because it's so fast. But we have entire sessions on fat loss, muscle gain, maximizing athletic recovery, carb loading, creatine loading, different kinds of proteins, um, other dietary supplements, pregame meals, eating disorders, even jobs that are out there in sports nutrition, um, different little investigative activities. So I send students out to go look at labels. And I want you to see things firsthand, like analyze the label. So you're doing a taste test, but then you're also looking at it more like a scientist and whatnot. Uh, if you do have any interest, you could just email me, lawnman7 at hotmail.com uh, or through the ironradio.org website, and I can give you some more info about the course. And again, it's a broad base. So I think we're all educated a little bit more on a basic on the basics so we can have meaningful chats about stuff like this, you know, like we were just talking about the what makes a hydrolyzed protein different from something else, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, it is probably helpful if you have a little bit of background in exercise science or if you have any kind of bio or chemistry background, nutrition background uh, would be helpful. But, yeah, send me an email if you're interested, and I can squeeze you in. It just dawned on me that this it's – I haven't brought this up in, like, two years. It's completely online, and the university is not opposed to guest students hopping in on this stuff. So there's my little news tidbits. But, but John, back to questions. You um, – you said you ran into a, a specific question this week. Was it fiber types, muscle fiber types? Yeah. So, so essentially, I mean, I, I've seen, um, and it's not, you know, a large um, group of, you know, individuals, but I mean, there's certainly a lot of trainers out there that, that train their clients. Um, you know, one particular individual like that, that, that trains at our gym, he'll ask me some questions. Um, it, it's funny. He'll actually ask me questions um, while I'm working out, which, Oh, you know, I, yeah. I, which is, I mean, it's okay, but I prefer, you know, not to just so, you know, stay focused and all that, but he'll actually ask me questions at the same time. He's actually training his clients. Um, and uh, I've noticed like with this particular individual, uh, I mean, this, this individual doesn't have any, any science background, like at all. Uh, I think he got a degree in like communications or, you know, marketing or something. Mm. Um, but He's he's known for like giving these large um, these disseminating scientific explanations <laughs> to his clients to his clients like in the middle of their training sessions and so like he'll he'll start talking about like when someone's benching or deadlifting or whatever he's he's talking about like fiber types and well you know when you do this you're training these fiber types and and I'm and I'm just like I mean. I, 
people need to understand that, I mean, the three main fiber types, obviously you have slow twitch and what are called FOG or FOG or fast oxidative glycolytic and, you know, fast twitch. Um, but they, but they all run in a continuum of one another. Like they don't, they don't turn on and turn off when you do one particular major activity. I mean, yes, with high, you know, strength and explosive activities, yes, you're using, you know, more fast twitch fibers, but you know, it's a higher percentage, right? And so, and which is based off genetics is dependent on, um, you know, training and responses. Um, but, you know, when, when you have clients that are paying you to get results, that's exactly what it is. You know, they're not they're not paying you to, to talk about fiber. Like, they don't know what the fuck that is. I mean, it's like all this dumb shit that clients just <laughs> oh don't goodness. really <laughs> care to really understand when they just want to drop some body fat or just look good naked, you know? And, and, I, and, I, and I say that to my classes about, you know, people's goals are to, like, look good naked. I mean, you know, Phil understands this. That's 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 legitimate, you know, to them. You know, it may not be a, a super in-depth goal, maybe to us, but to it's them, the you know, that's right. That's, that's that's what they want, right? They don't care about fucking fiber types. No, um, I, I hear you. You know, I, so and, yeah. and, and the funny thing is, is that, um, you know, I mean, we don't need to go into large, you know, explanations of it, but I mean, even as um. I mean, from the science and from the literature, you've seen fiber types change in as little as 14 days. So that's two weeks, um, you know, and you, and it's clearly um, seen within the science. I mean, you know, when you're not, you know, training um, with whatever, I mean, you can see a little bit of atrophy um, quite quite soon, actually. Um, so it, it's, it's just really just giving the clients about what they want and, and what they need and what they're paying you to get results, not write, you know, a five to 10 page, you know, research paper that you think they're in the position to really understand. And, and, and they're really not. So um, it, it's, I think it's a lot of it is just um, a lot of insecurities with trainers and thinking that they have to spew out all this you know, scientific info That's to make it. them look good or to yep. make them look smart. Yeah. You know, I mean, and but clients, clients don't care about that. I mean, I mean, most of the time they're not even going to ask you like what certifications that you have. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, it's just, um, that's my, um, just, just stick with the basics and you should be in good shape. It's a, it's a fine line of how much depth you go. Cause Phil will often, he even did today talk about a lever arm and overhead press you know your elbows furthest away from your body so that's your sticking point you know some basic like the biomechanics or a little bit of the metabolism you know that sort of thing einstein said if you can't explain it simply you don't understand it well enough you so, know and i think like you said that maybe there's an element of grandstanding with some people it's it's often the intermediate intermediate people they 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 learn a certain amount of material and they're so eager to sort of embellish and, and yeah and, and talk about it maybe I don't know but yeah the, the level of depth that's partly experience like how much uh, I like Phil how you say why like if I can't tell someone why I'm doing something I'm not worth my salt that's true yeah. but do you need to take it all the way down to the nuances of nitric oxide production in the capillaries no you don't you know um, no and the the fact is that most clients don't care why. I need to be able to tell them if they want to know. Yeah. But I'd say 90% of my people don't care. They just want to know what to do. <laughs> you know, but right. if they ask, then, I'll, then I need to be able to tell them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Most of them just want results. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and it's about not getting bogged down in the minutia, right? I think sometimes that's – it's intelligence guided by experience. You know, you end up with the experience to be able to say, 
Well, let me boil it down here. And I mean, if they keep saying like a child, why and why and why? You know, eventually you're going to find yourself in the realm of like molecular biology or physics. You know, I won't understand it anyway. And yeah, yeah. So. And I know. <laughs> none of us will. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 So. So, yeah the, most. I mean, Lonnie. But think about this too. It's <clears throat> if if a lot most students in an exercise phys class have trouble understanding it. How the fuck do you think a client's supposed to understand it? <laughs> no, right. With no textbook, no, no, exactly. right. Diagrams or visuals or, yeah, experimental, you know, evidence with hands-on in the lab. Yeah, that that's why university courses and textbooks are what they are. You know, that's why every time somebody says, I need a, can I you give me a basic book? And they immediately turn to a lot of commercial books. And some of them are pretty damn good, I'm sure. I haven't seen Jim Wendler's new book, but I'm, I, I would get, guess it's a good read and it's got good info in it. But at the same time, I'm a big fan of entry-level textbooks. You know, there aren't many um, industry books out there that are going to give you a, a lot of that why. But then you can dig into a section of a certain chapter and get as chewy as you want, or you can avoid that and just kind of get to the, so how the hell do you do this? You know, to get to the how and not as much of the why. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, it came up with me just before we uh, sign off here this past week. A another uh, faculty person was – he's asking me about panation in a muscle and why it leads to greater strength. Like not just the fact that there's more fibers per cross-sectional area, but yeah, I why, is it, why is it that training causes increased penation? And I said, honestly, I don't really give that much thought. I, I suppose the muscle hypertrophies on some level, and when it bulges, there's a little bit more of a diagonal of, of the right. fibers where you get more fibers pulling. Because uh, yeah. he, he was talking about t talking about altered tendinous insertion, and I'm like, well, yeah, of course it's nothing like that. Um, but again, this is sort of – I think it's minutiae, like – Whatever the penation angle, the angle of your muscle fibers have because your deltoids are bulging a little more or for whatever reason it is. And I really don't don't know. Like if you start now and then six weeks later, penation is playing a role in your strength. I got to think it's got a lot more to do with activating your nervous system and then eventually mm -hmm. muscle mass, you know, and not getting bogged down too much in the angle of your muscle fibers I, that's got to be yeah, trivial yeah i don't know yeah it, it, yeah you know you're right it's just i mean it's it's nice to know from a knowledge perspective because you can talk about it in class because like when i taught biomechanics i talked about penation angle and, and and you're right i mean when you have a larger cross-sectional area you can have <clears throat> your you know fiber orientation is more angled and you can pack in more fibers if your penation right. angle is yeah. say 30 degrees versus like zero you know which is great so it's, it's nice to know those things but at the same time like you're right it's like it, it's it's kind of like minutiae with the with the the bigger picture you know it's just like well, what are you gonna do i mean seriously I know, I are know, you gonna like, train you gonna do? it's like you're gonna fucking i mean like okay i can't do lat raises because it only does this penation angle to my shoulder you know what i mean it's yeah. just like it's like just train <laughs> right or do reps like this to maximize a few degrees of increased penation angle. We're going to train for penation angle now. What? Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> lift the damn weight. I lift know. a heavy weight. <laughs> lift it with enough volume and eat like a horse. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. 
All right, guys. I think everybody's struggling a bit today, so uh, we'll catch catch up with everybody next week. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.